0: So how much time you have? How much time you have to be a dad? We've been called to a higher purpose, something beyond ourselves. If you want to go to Luke 5, 1 through 11, we'll get started. And we'll use it kind of as a springboard to start off. So Luke 5, 1 through 11, i read from the message. It says, once when he was standing on the Shore of Lake Genesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him and better to hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up and the fishermen had just left them. They were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught even a minnow, but if you say so, I'll let out my nets. And it was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell to his knees before Jesus. He said, Master, I am a sinner. I can't handle this much holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled the catch of fish, all overwhelmed Simon and overwhelmed everyone with him. It was the same with James and John and Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up to the beach and left them, nets and all, and followed him. Jesus is calling four of the disciples. Andrew's not mentioned here, but Andrew's there because he's a brother of Simon, so we know he's there. And he's probably the one that went to Jesus and said, Hey, I got a boat over here. Okay? Because that's what Andrew did. He always pointed people to Jesus. So they've been caught, they've, 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 they've been caught up in this thing that they know that produces this awe and reverence. And we as fathers have to ask ourselves, is that where we sit? Do we sit in awe and reverence? Do we look at our family and go, I can't do this? I can't be the leader I need to be I can't be the protector I need to be I can't be what I need to be without you walking alongside of me John Quincy Adams said if you're in if your actions inspire others to dream more to do more to become more then you are a leader I would extend that to us today and I might add to the mention that if, if you're in a family you've been called to something higher higher than leadership, been called to be a father, been called to be a dad. One of the greatest memories I have growing up, we went on this, uh, it's one of the last really big things for my dad because our family kind of fell apart after that in the years, the soon years following that. I was probably 15 years of age in the ninth grade and we went to float with, with cousins and friends and stuff, went to float the Little Missouri River When we got there on the bridge down, we're gonna float from the bridge down to Lake Greason, I'm not sure how far that is, maybe eight miles or so. When we got there, the water is up on the bridge eight feet above flood stage. As far as you can see, water is going everywhere and is rolling. And the men are talking and they don't know, and of course, we're like kids, we're like, wow. You know, we're just like, why, we can't believe it. We don't even know, we don't even know to be scared, right? But the men are talking, and they, they don't know if they're going to float or not. I don't know if we need to. Maybe too dangerous. Finally they decide, no, it'll be okay, right? There's one rah-rah dad kind of, no, we can do this, we can do this, you know, because I'm, I'm the greatest canoe guy anyway. But, you know, so we get in. We're fixing to get in the canoes, and my dad pulls me and my brother aside. He says, listen, keep your life jackets on at all times. He said, you're going to flip. You're going to get wet. He said, find something to hang on to. If you're going to swim, swim straight towards the shore. Okay? But don't ever take your life jacket off. That was him caring for us. Because he knew we wouldn't be in the canoe with him at all times. And it was, it was a wild, crazy day. Right? But that concern was there the whole time. I watched him, my brother, in canoe hit a, hit a log under the water. And that canoe shot straight up in the air and spun. My brother flew out. Stuff went everywhere. My dad didn't worry about the stuff for the coup. He went straight and got my brother. He brought him over to us in the raft. We pulled him in. Because the whole day was filled with stuff like that. At one point, we got, there's a, if you've ever flowed a little Missouri, I don't know, but there's a waterfall that runs all the way across the river. It, drops, it only drops about four to six feet at any time, but we went over and the, and the raft got sucked back up under it and water's falling in it. Me and my cousin are in and I don't know what to do. They're back, they're, everybody's back, no one's up there with us. And so I told my cousin I'm getting out. I jumped towards the shore. I could, we, I, we were trying to push it out, get away from it, have my foot on the rock, just on the rock. We're pushing, we can't get out, all right? We jump off, I, I swam towards the shore. I got there about 100 yards down. I finally got there my cousin didn't get out. Uh, but when my dad and the men got there, they came in they protected it, right? It took four of them to pull it out, okay? But the whole day was filled with that, this, this incredible adventure with my dad, right? And him caring for us and them loving us. Here's a couple of statistics you might be surprised at. A family that attends church, mom, dad, and the family attend church, 37, no, 74% of those kids will grow up and attend church. That's pretty astronomical, isn't it? That's pretty cool, Okay. If the mom doesn't attend church, the mom's not involved, but the dad is, that only drops to about 66%. 66% of kids with dads involved in church will grow up to be in church. A family attends church without a dad. A good dad working for the family, but he doesn't attend church. Guess what that percentage drops to? This is the mom in church. 2%. 2% 2% of those kids will grow up and be in church. Not to diminish the role of moms, because moms have a significant role, and they're very important in our lives, all right? But I want you to get the gravity of what we've been asked to do as fathers. Here's something else you might be interested in. If in, a, in a family that's unsaved, if the child gets saved first, there's a 3.5% chance that that family will end up going to church, that that family end up being saved. The same family where the mom gets saved first, 17% chance that that family will end up in church as a family. You want to guess what the percentage is if the father gets saved first? 93%. There's a 93% chance that that entire family will end up in church. All right, fathers have got five things. The first one is a protector. Okay? He keeps everything God has given him. So first of all, God has called us into this calling to be fathers. He's tasked us with this. Something we are in awe and reverence. Psalm 91.5, if you want to to turn over there, flip over there in your book book you can read along with me. I'm in the NASB now. I'll be the NASB for the rest of the way. He's a protector. You protect your family. Like my dad, <clears throat> that day on the river he protected us he made sure we were safe he made sure we were set up to be safe that no matter what happened we flipped out of the canoe we got caught we knew what to do psalm 91 5 starts off you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon even though a thousand may fall by your side, you stand there and you're in battle and they're falling. Or 10,000 by your right hand, they're falling. Everybody's falling, but it shall not approach you. Evil will not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and you will see recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord your refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. So do we have that attitude as fathers? You will not enter this place. Evil will not enter this place because I go to battle for you every day because I'm on my knees and I'm praying every day for my family, for the individual members of my family to keep evil at bay. So here's what I did for you. I did for all fathers. If you want to, if you like it, you you may not like this thing, okay? Uh, I like to take scripture and and mess with it, all right? So it's not sacrilegious, okay? But to make a prayer out of it, to make something that I can speak into my life or make it like sort of a mantra for me, okay? Because those things keep me alive. So I took John 17, where Jesus is talking about his disciples and he's praying for his disciples and the Father, and I rewrote it for us. So if you want to bow your head and pray with me, that's great. If you don't, that's fine. Okay, but I'm going to read it slow. John seventeen, six through twelve. It says, I have manifested your name, Lord, to the family that you gave me. They are yours, because you gave them to me. I believe they're keeping your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the word you gave me, I gave to them. And they received these words and truly understood that I seek to follow you. They believe that you provide for us. I ask on their behalf. We don't ask on the behalf of everyone, but just for the family that you gave me. For they are yours. And all things that we have belong to you because you've shared them with us. And we will glorify your son with the things that you've given us. Now, one day I'll leave this world, and yet they themselves will stay behind. When I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be even one, as I believe we are. While I I am with them, I will keep them in your name, for you have given me, you have given them to me, and I will guard them, and I will not let one of them perish. Amen. Amen. So we can take scripture, we are protectors, first and foremost, second. We are providers. He adds life to his family. A lot of families today, a lot of different things going on in the family, all right? The dad may not be making the most money. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about who brings brings home the most money, who does this, who does that. I'm asking, do you add life to your family? Are you sensitive to the needs of your kids? Like we saw up here in the video, do you pull them aside? Do you see what their needs are? Do you know your kids? What they're capable of, what what their strengths are, what their faults are? you take time to learn that? Because that doesn't just happen. It takes effort. you provide wisdom? Or you're a friend? I know sometimes you've got to be a parent, and a whole parent thing kind of gets in the way. You know, we want to be our friends of our kids, right? All right? In that sense. But in the very real sense, you need to be a friend of your kid. Because they don't need to be afraid of you. Right? Like our Heavenly Father, I'm not afraid of Him. I have fear. Yes, I do. I have awe and reverence for who He is. And I understand that with a bat of His eyelash, I would be be nothing. But I also know there's love. And any time I look at Him, any time I go there, He sees everything. He sees who I am, fully known, the song that we just sang. That was beautiful, by the way. I love your voice. Okay. That when we get to heaven, and even now, when we consider God, we go, I, he knows everything. He knows the thoughts that are, that are negative that I have. He knows the stuff that I have. But when I look in his eyes, I know that I'm loved. And I'm accepted. Because he provides for me. Do you provide Counsel? Do you you provide perspective, insight, camaraderie? Are you a contributor and a giver? If you're a young woman in here and you have a boyfriend and that boyfriend takes from you in whatever way possible, I'm not talking about money given, I'm talking about he adds value to your life. If that young man isn't adding value to your life, you need to dump him. That's, 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 I'm seriously. I'm serious, I'm not kidding. All right. all right, he needs to be gone, all right? If he's not a giver, if he's stingy now with what he has and his affections, he's going to be stingy at 30 and stingy at 50 and stingy at 80. I am, I'm telling you. Yes, I'm telling you, okay? You are a protector of your family. You are a provider, okay? You need to give life to your family, all right? Yes, you need to be working to have a job. Those things, that's true. But we're not, that's not the primary thing. In fact, That's secondary or tertiary. Okay? Tertiary is third. That's just a big word. Okay? I don't know. I like words sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to patronize. I'm not. Uh, all right, anyway. Funny, funny, funny. He's a, you have to be a promoter. You're a promoter of your family, okay? All right. My family is the best. And so is yours, and so is each one of us, okay? We promote our family as the best. All right? He builds up the members of his family, not himself. We talked about King Saul today in our in our Sunday school lesson, and King Saul was about building up of himself. All right? He made two major mistakes before David even came on the scene. God had already said, your, your legacy will not continue. Alright? Two major mistakes. Number one, God said go to the Midianites and destroy it. Livestock, people, everything. It's, I'm not, I don't understand that. I can't fathom that sometimes. We had a discussion this today in Sunday school that it's hard to understand and comprehend that. Right? Alright? Because the animals they are what, they're innocent, right? But you've got to kill them all. Anyway, so Saul gets in there He lets the king live, first of all, Agag. And then he gets in there, and he goes, well, dang, those are nice-looking cows. And look at, whoa, sheep over there. Let's keep some of those. So so he's going to keep all this when he gets it all. And then Samuel goes, Saul, what have you done? And Saul goes, whoa, I got this for Jesus. Right? Not Jesus, because he wasn't there yet. But you understand, this is for the Lord. And like, nah, that's not what he said, right? It's about obedience. Saul was about himself and what he wanted. And the second one was, right, later on, they're going to, they got, the, the Midianites are coming in because he didn't kill them all. They're coming in to, to invade and he's like, he gives him a certain amount of time There's a seven day window when Samuel has to show up. And Samuel's an old dude so he doesn't get there in time. Right? You understand about being old, right? You, just, you don't necessarily get there in time, right? All right? But you'll be there. I said I'd be there. I'll be there, right? So but I mean, but I may not get there in time, okay. So he doesn't show up in time. So so Saul goes. Well, we got something's got to happen right now, okay. So he said, bring some bulls, bring some goats. We're just going to sacrifice. We're going to have a big barbecue, and we're going to say it for the Lord, okay. Without a priest, without following the protocol. What? It's about obedience. But it, but for Saul, it was about what? It was about himself and the family he had to take care of. Was the entire nation, okay? But he was about promoting. Saul not promoting his family like we're asked to promote our family okay Ephesians 4 14 through 16 said as a result and of course what you didn't know Paul's been talking about he says believers and their spiritual take, taking their spiritual gifts and applying them as a unified group okay and so he says he says as a result as a result of believers taking their gifts and being unified Okay? As a result, do this. Okay? We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Okay? That's your job, all right? You, you, you govern over your family so this doesn't happen. Okay? You're the promoter. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. From the whole body being fitted and held together by, every, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You promote, you build up your family in the love of Christ. That's what we do, okay? That's what we're called to do as fathers, is to build ourselves up, build our families up in the love of Christ. We're protectors, okay? We're providers, and we are promoters. And fourthly, we are a priest. A dad, a father, is a priest over his home. In Job 1 4 and 5, is the introduction to the book Professional Father. Okay? And I, and I see it working out because I did stuff at, at the ranch and I was, I was a father and I led there and, and not, always, not always did the right thing, but I but I see that, right? And so now in my counseling with the people that I'm counseling, that role is kind of kind of coming up again and again, all right? So then I'm asking myself, because when Jason actually initially asked me to preach today, uh, I thought, okay, I can get something together. I was working on some stuff, and he said, hey, I want you to do fathers. And so I thought, sure, yeah, okay. But then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm like, Jesus, I really, I don't, I don't want to do dads, right? Because then I've got to be responsible for that stuff, right? Then we've got to be responsible for that because it's, it kind of hits you between the eyes because maybe you're not doing some of this stuff exactly right, okay? Maybe you're not doing it right. He's a priest. 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, "Therefore, first well, Timothy, I'm sorry, therefore I want men in every place to lift up holy hands without wrath and distinction, to pray with lifted hands. That's what he says. 1 Timothy 2.8, okay? You are a priest over your house. You are a protector. You are a provider. You are a promoter and a priest, and finally you are a prophet. Okay? I'm not going all charismatic on you, so just relax there a second. Okay? But he speaks life over his family. Okay? And so when you come home, to, come home from work each day, okay, and you're tired and worn out and all the weight is on you of the world outside of the family, okay, are you able to somehow take that stuff off and put it in a basket? Or put it in a case or put it in something. This is what we call containment exercises in counseling. Okay? So I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna teach you a counseling a counseling technique right now. Okay? It's called a containment exercise. So you visualize a container, whatever it is. I've had people visualize the bottom of a pool, visualize a hole that they fill out and dig out each time. Visualize a one had a, one had like a Seder Hope chest. Another person had a skyscraper that no one could get in but her. Okay? So you take this stuff, alright, and you put it in there and tomorrow you're going to open it up because you got to take care of that, alright, but when you walk through that door you're a prophet and you need to be speaking life. You don't need to be carrying the weight of the world, alright, you need to be speaking life. That's where you know your kids, that's where you've, you've gone back to the, to the promoter where you know your family, right? Now you're a prophet and you're speaking life. Have you had anybody ever prophesy over you? And pray o- And what I'm talking about is pray over you with a vision for the future. That's prophetic. That's what I'm talking about. All right? We're not talking about telling your future or divining something. We're not talking about that. Okay. We're talking about someone laying hands on you and going, I believe this about you. I believe God is saying this about you and saying that prayer over your life. We should do that with our kids, each one. Pick something about them, okay? Maybe they love animals. Maybe they just have a love for animals, and you see when they, get to, when they, when they interact with an animal, something magical happens. That No one else has been able to touch that animal. The animal responds to them. So you speak over their life, and you say, I see you being a veterinarian. I'll see you caring for animals in your life. I'll give you a future and a hope. Right? And so that kid sees that. Now maybe they don't ever become a veterinarian. Okay? Maybe they're a mom in a house and they're a good mom and everybody brings their, everybody in the county brings their dogs and cats over to be doctored. I don't know. But she has a hope and a confidence or he, right? That they can accomplish things. Because you speak life over them. All right? That is biblical, my friend. Okay? That is biblical. Genesis 35, 18. Rachel is dying. All right? Jacob's beloved wife, right? He had three or four of them. This is the one he loves the most, Okay? When he paid the huge price for, it, she's dying, right? And she's given birth <coughs> to Benjamin. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben Ananai. But his father called him Benjamin. All right? Ben Anai means son of my sorrow. All right? And so when, when, the, when the midwife or whoever was with, with, the, with Rachel at the time come out and said, Rachel has died, but here's your son. And he picks his son up. And, she, and the midwife says, his name is ben and I, Right? And of course, Jacob knows that means son of my sorrow. And he goes, you will not be called son of my sorrow. You'll be called Benjamin, son of my strength. And out of Benjamin came the kings of Israel. Hmm. Wow. Son of my strength. You speak life over your kids. You give them a legacy. You give them a future and a hope by speaking life, speaking into them. They can accomplish this. They can do that. We're called, we have a high calling. We're called to be protectors and providers, promoters and priests. Finally, we're called to be prophets. And I'll leave you with one little story, because it's just fascinating. Gilbert Seltzer, 104 years old, said, shortly after we arrived in Normandy, my platoon was directed to take place of an anti-aircraft battery. Now what this guy's in charge of, okay, this Gilbert Seltzer, almost everybody he knows now is dead, World War II, this is, this is today, he's 104 years old, okay, all right? He would set, they would set up entire, they had 1,000 men in this platoon called the Ghost Platoon. They would set up what looked like an army, rubber tanks, blow, blow up artillery shell weapons, that were self-inflated. They had, they, had, they had recordings of tanks, okay? That sounded so realistic that they would play overnight, the people of the town would say, did you see those tanks coming through town? And they would say, yeah, I saw them, okay? When the Allied Forces crossed the Rhine River, okay, they set up an army and the Germans moved their entire army down to attack them. 30,000 lives were spared. When they crossed the Rhine, Rhine River, 20 miles upriver, almost no resistance. This guy fought in all major campaigns. People were shooting at him and he can't shoot back. He was a father the grandfather. And I think he understood what it meant. To be that. And so I ask each of us today, are you going to respond to the call? Are you going to step into the shoes that are called dads? are you going to do the things that are necessary to be those things for your family? Let's pray.